John chapter number 11, verse number 1 is where we'll start tonight. I want to preach on this thought, somebody go get God. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. And it was that Martha which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped her feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Now, you know the rest of this story. You know that it says uh, in some of the later verses, I don't remember exactly where, uh, maybe in verse number 6, that he stayed two more days in the place that he was. And uh, so we know that he was four days. People would say he was four days late. And uh, I'm glad that even when it seems that way, he's on time. Amen. And uh, so we find here that there here was these two women of Bethany, and they had a brother named Lazarus. Now, there's a bunch of different Marys in the the Gospels, and uh, this one right here will help you determine, uh, kind of give you a little little information on which one was which here. So kind of mark that, and maybe you could do your own study, uh, especially about that woman that broke that alabaster box. Uh, but we see here that they, in verse number 3, they sent... Unto him, saying, Lord, we, or Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. And uh, that is where we build our thought upon tonight, and they sent unto him. Now, there's been a lot of prayers offered by me and for me and on my behalf, and I'm sure there's been a lot for you. But if I would be honest, probably one of the most important prayers that was ever offered up either by me or by someone else, was when somebody sought God on my behalf that I would be saved. And uh, I, I would venture to say that, that probably everybody in here has had, at some point, somebody has prayed that you be saved. And uh, it, it's very likely that you have prayed that someone be saved, if not just yourself. And so tonight I want to deal with a few things where we need to go get God. And I'll give them to you fairly quickly tonight. Uh, but I want to just, just real quick in this text here, we know that Lazarus and Jesus were close. It says there in verse number 3, He whom thou lovest is sick. And so we know that they were close. Somebody mentioned this morning Peter and John. We know that Jesus was close to those men, but here's another. And I just wonder, outside of maybe the actual resurrection, what type of relationship can be written about Lazarus? You know, maybe we, we understand that he was there, his disciple, but I wonder maybe how was God using him in his life? I don't know, and I can't make any assumptions, but I could only think that when he was resurrected, when he did come out of the tomb... Uh, man, there was uh, there was a lot of questions. There was a lot of questions on what happened to Lazarus. Was he just really asleep or was he dead? Well, I think that was answered. It says that he stinketh. Come on. And uh, so he had been dead for four days and he stank. Well, that kind of knocks that one out. He wasn't asleep. 
Well, was he, you know, was he in, was he in heaven? Was he in paradise? Where was he? What was, what was the circumstance? How did he come back? When he came back, how long did he live? What did he do? Did he go on the evangelistic trail saying, look what God did for me? I have no idea what he did. But I think that if, if Lazarus could tell us anything tonight, it would be no matter what, go get God. And so tonight I want to give you just a few things. Number one, somebody go get God for the heathen. For the heathen. In Galatians chapter number 1, this is the Apostle Paul talking. In verse number 13 he says, For ye have heard of my conversation, or my life in the past, in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and uh, it prof and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. Verse 15. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with the flesh and blood. Neither when I went up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Paul says here that God in His time called me... And he says, I surrendered to God. I didn't go confer with the church. I didn't go confer with any religious people. He said, I went to the heathen. But I'm glad that there's a reason why he went to the heathen. We find it there in verse number 14, 15 or so, that his son be revealed in me. He says, I don't want Paul to be on the stand. I want Jesus Christ to be revealed in me. And so we say that we need to go get God for the heathen. Why? Because they need Preaching. The very word heathen is irreligious, uncultured, uncivilized. And Paul was a wicked man. He gave his testimony there in verse 13 and 14. And he said that I excelled in the religious or the religion of the Jews. He said I, I uh, wasted Christendom. He says he persecuted them. He told his story, uh, but he said that as soon as he received Christ and he went and preached to the heathen. He preached to those that were unlearned. He preached to those that were uncultured. He preached to those that were uncivilized and irreligious. I'm glad that God can call wicked men and wicked women to go reach other wicked people. Amen. We need to go get God for the heathen. Galatians chapter number 3, verse number 7 and 8. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham and the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. Before Abraham was a nation... You understand what I mean? Before his seed became the people of Israel, God blessed him and God preached the gospel to Abraham before any of those things happened. And the reason being is because he knew out of his seed would come a heathen people. And so that takes us back to Calvary where God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to die on Calvary. 
He died that day, whenever it was, on that hill, alone, with no one really around him except a few. But he did that because of what would come. He did that because on June 20th, 1979, there'd be a little red-headed boy born into Ocala, Florida, and lived most of his life, early life at least, in Palatka, Florida, that needed a Savior. He knew that one of these days, matter of fact, today is my 28th, year in the ministry. I just about forgot about it. And I say hallelujah for 28 years preaching the gospel. And so beside all that, God knew that I would be born again on April 24th, 1992. And he knew back on Calvary that on November the 14th of 1993, that he would call me to preach and I would eventually uh, accept the call and continue on my journey. God knew before the foundations of the world even what his plans were for my life. The same for you. While you, we look over in Romans chapter number 5, verse number 8 is usually where we talk. But God committed his love toward us and that we were, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But I believe it's verse number 6 or verse number 7. It says that Christ died for the ungodly. When, Brother Jody, when there was no hope before December the 10th, 2008, December the 9th, 2008, in this life, there was no hope. And God saw that. And God decided He was going to love you anyhow. And He decided that He was going to send His Son anyhow. Even while you were a heathen, God decided He was going to Send His Son. And you and I, we need to pray. We need to go get God for more heathen that are irreligious and unlearned and uncivilized and unchurched. We need, hey, when we go to Walmart, we go to Food Line, we go to Harvey's or Ruvo's or wherever we may go, we need to see the souls of men and women, not the shape, not their color, but their souls, and understand and know and realize that they need God. We need to go get God for the heathen. Ephesians chapter number 2, verse number 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. God is going to justify the unjust by faith. All they have to do is believe on Him. The Scripture is pretty plain. Now we say that, and justly, we say one must repent of their sins and Ask God for forgiveness. And I believe that. And the scripture teaches us. But if we go over to Romans chapter number 10. I I just want you to see what the Bible says here. He says, if you confess. In this verse number 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. And believe on in, in thine heart. That God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Right there, there, there is no mention of repentance. Even though other scriptures in that same chapter talk about repentance. But men and women need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. How can they believe? Well, we go on down in our text and we see there in Romans chapter number 10 that they can't hear without a preacher. And they can't preach lest they be sent. And don't for a moment think that he's just talking about preachers. 
He's talking to every Christian, every child of God. Number two, somebody go get God for the heart. Why? Because the heart is deceitful. Jeremiah chapter number 17, verse number 9. The heart is deceitful. Listen to this. You know this verse. Above all things. Above all things, the Bible says, and desperately wicked, who can know it? That's why, that's why I get so aggravated. That's why when you fill out a survey at the doctor's office, it asks you if you're male, female, non-binary, unknown, prefer not to answer all this goofiness. That's why when you fill out a survey or you do something and it asks you uh, uh, if you were born male at birth, female at birth, or assigned a different gender. Hog wash is what that stuff is. I said hog wash is what that stuff is. So the heart is deceitful. That's why we have little boys and little girls in, in elementary school that are acting effeminate, little boys acting effeminate, and little girls that are acting like little boys, and they identify as such because the heart is desperately wicked. The heart is deceitful. And not only that, I don't want to just blame it on these little boys and little girls who most likely don't know any better. Uh, My goodness gracious alive, we're talking about people that are just maybe 10 years younger than I am, maybe even a little little less than that, maybe five years younger that have kids in second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade. And I'm telling you what's the truth. They are teaching their kids to do whatever their heart leads them to do. Never, never, ever tell my children to do what their heart tells them to do. One, because they're 15 and 11. They don't know what their heart wants to do. Number two, it's deceitful and it's desperately wicked. They don't need to decide for themselves. That's why God gave them a mama. That's why God gave them a daddy. Because we've been through it. We made some bad decisions. We fell on our faces. We are able to pray and discern the will of God for our our children. That wasn't in here, but you are absolutely welcome. We need to go get God for the heart. We need to go get God because it's for the heart because it's deceitful, because the heart is degenerate. In Matthew chapter number 11, or chapter number 12, excuse me, verse number 34, Jesus says, Old generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. You want to know why? There used to be a time when when men would stand around and cuss until a woman would come into their presence and they they shut it off just like a water spigot. It's because they had some respect for the, the woman that may be there. Now, it doesn't matter a hill of beans. It does not matter a hill of beans. If they're going to say it, they're going to say it. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. It, there used to be a time, and maybe in some instances there are, if someone knows that you are a preacher and you come into their presence and they are cussing, they're smoking, they're doing whatever, uh, they'll put that cigarette out, they'll take their dip out, they'll do whatever, and they'll clean up their conversation because you're a preacher and they don't want to offend you anymore. I believe it really makes it even worse. I think 
they get more vulgar and they get more uh, 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 fleshly and just absolute crude. Why? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the man speaketh. Now, can I say this? The reason there's so much abundance of filth and unregenerate wickedness in our heart is because that's what we watch on the television. That's what we're watching. I said I wasn't going to say it. That's what we're watching on TikTok. That's what we're watching on YouTube. And and, uh, 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 what's the one where you take the picture just goofy-fied? Uh, Snapchat, that's what you're watching on Snapchat. That's what we're reading in our books. That's what we're reading in our magazines. Listen to me, that's what we're seeing with mom and daddy being wicked to one another. That's what we see. And that's what we're filling our hearts with. That's what we're filling our hearts Matthew chapter 15, verse number 19. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. Murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. Did you catch that? These are the things that defile a man. Those things that, where did they come from? Didn't come from the mind. Came from the heart. The very thing that keeps us alive is killing us. If it were to stop beating... Our life would stop. But that thing, now I'm, t- I'm mixing my metaphors here, but we got a muscle and we got that soul. And they're often compared the same in the Word of God. And that very thing that is keeping us alive is what's killing us. And, and the reason it's doing it is because we keep feeding it bad stuff in. When I worked at Kelsan, the IT department, they would they would say it all the time, and it's applicable to Christian lives too. They would say it because somebody's computer would would start slowing down and start slowing down, and, and we'd get aggravated because it won't go through the program like it's supposed to. And they would say, "Garbage in, garbage out." You start surfing the internet and it starts uh, 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 collecting cookies and it's building its own cash. You start putting in music and videos and everything else on your computer. You're putting garbage in. Guess what's going to come out? Garbage. You're slowing it down. And what we're doing is we're filling our hearts, our souls with garbage. I said we. We are filling our hearts and our souls with garbage. And what's going to come out? Garbage. I got one of those square things with wheels on it and a flippy floppy lid. Y'all call a hobo. It's a trash can to me, but I got one of those and I got it up by the road. Guess what I put in that thing? Garbage. On Monday mornings, Tuesday afternoon, Thursday night at midnight, don't matter whenever the trash people come around. They own their own schedule. Somebody help me and call the city for me. They own their own. Don't matter. They ain't going to get roses. And, and gingerbread cookies, they're not going... Why? Because I put garbage in it. Guess what they're going to get out of it? Garbage. We need to go get God for the heart because it's deceitful, because it's degenerate, because the heart is dense. Now, y'all bear with me here just a minute. Acts chapter 28, verse number 27. For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and the ears are dull of hearing. And their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and she should be converted and I should heal them. He says the heart of this people is waxed gross. This word, this word gross, it means 
thick, fat, and dense. In other words, what we have done, we will continue our thought about things being filled in. We have engorged our heart with the things that pleases us. We have made our heart dense, and there's no room for God. There's no room for who was it? Was it in, wasn't it in Philippians that said, "Think on these things"? And he gave you a list. We can't. We even if we can think on, we can't retain them. I tell you what, I've been convicted about memorizing scripture, and I wonder maybe if if the Lord hadn't shown me the reason why I can't memorize scripture is because I'm remembering everything else that I ought not be. I'm remembering. What television show? What time it comes on? What channel it comes on? Where I got to be? How many bullets do I got left before I got to reload? Where, where, where we're going in January? What are we doing in October? Where, I'm filling my heart, I'm filling my mind with all the things that are unnecessary. And I'm not able to fill it with the things of God. Number next. The heart is deceitful, it's degenerate, it's dense. The heart is deliberate. Hebrews chapter number 4, verse number 12. For the word of God is quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit. It's hard for us to figure out the difference between soul and spirit. But the word of God is so sharp, it can cut a fine line. Dividing asunder of the soul and spirit. And the joints and the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The heart is intentional. It is planned. It is purposed. We need to go get God for our heart. Number three, for the home. We've kind of already talked about some of this, so I'll go quickly. We need to go get God for the home because it's shaken. Ephesians chapter number six. Ephesians chapter number six, verse number one. I want us to look at this if I can get my thing to work right here. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, parentheses, which is the first commandment with promise. Don't forget that with promise. That it might be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. To nurture is to support, to encourage as during development or to foster. You have a foster home. What are they to do? They're to step in as that surrogate parent. That child, that orphan, if you will, they're without a parent, regardless of the reason. And they are to foster them. They are to bring them up. They themselves are to nurture that child until they can... Maybe go to another home or until they reach adulthood and they can go on their own. The scripture says that as parents, as fathers, it says we need to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Now listen to this. This word foster continuing, it means to promote growth. So I ask you again tonight, what are we teaching our kids Are we supporting them? Are we teaching them biblical values? Or are we teaching them how to... We were talking about playing a trumpet. 
uh, or, or, or are we teaching them how to play an instrument and that takes precedent over the things of God? Are we teaching them how to play ball and, and going everywhere where that leads? Are we teaching our children? Are we teaching our children that it's okay to miss a service now and then? Are we teaching our children that it's okay not to go to Sunday school? I, I'll step on some toes. Probably ain't nobody here that needs this, but I'll go ahead and do it because it's online and I'm gonna, I'm gonna look over this way. Are you teaching your children that it's okay to be 20 minutes late to Sunday school every week? Because that's a big thing. That's a distraction. I'll go one step further and say, that's a shame. Every week that we're late to the house of God. If there's anybody's house I want to be on time at, it's God's house. The home is shaken. What are we teaching our kids? What biblical values are we giving? Are we leading them in Christian developments? I believe even as... As parents, I mentioned my girls, as parents, it's okay to, to look at them and say, they, you know, we was talking to somebody today about their baby, and uh, we was talking about the size of it, and it's a little bit bigger than it needs to be, and this, that, and the other, and, and so the doctors, are they keep check on, on those things. Uh, and even after the baby's born, they keep checks on how big the baby is, what, what, what do they call those milestones? Uh, you know, they're at a certain age, they should be able to grasp something in their hand. They should be able to hold their head up on their own. They should be able to turn over at a certain age. I think even as parents, uh, it's okay to go get God for the home because it's shaken. And we need to ask ourselves, how are our Christian children measuring up to where they should be? Now, Braylon is on a different level than Kaylee. And Rachel's on a different level than Samuel. And Samuel's on a different level than Miss Barbara. We're all on different levels. And as parents, we need to look at that and not compare them. Well, uh, you know, Braylon's 11 years old and Nathan's 13 years old. So Nathan's doing this in church. Braylon should be. No, 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 no. No, don't do that. Don't, don't start comparing. But, but rather begin to pray and seek God's will in guiding your children in their Christian growth. And it's okay to say, don't say it in a bad spirit, but it's okay now. You're a child of God. We shouldn't be doing that. But instead of beating them over the head and saying, now Christians shouldn't be doing that, we need to with love teach them what they should be doing. Because it's shaken, because it's separated. Colossians chapter number 3, verse number 18. We have a very similar uh, passage here. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. <clears throat> husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, <clears throat> for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. The Christian home resembles in our time, so often it resembles a lost home. It resembles a home where the wives are lost, the husbands lost, the children are lost, and they're always at one another. There's no love. There's no help to one another. There's no nurture. There's no admonition. Uh, there's, there, there is provoking or provocation. 
But it is to anger. It is to wrath. It is to wrongdoing. But the scripture says that we need to provoke them not to anger, but to love and to good things. In many cases, our children are raising themselves. They have, <clears throat> I've mentioned this before, they've got devices galore. They've got DVDs. They've got streaming. My girls stream movies and shows and things like this. they got tablets, devices. But I wonder what it would do for our parents if, if, they, if they put this down. Are y'all looking at me? Y'all youngins, y'all looking at me? I wonder what it would do if you'd put this down and pick this up. But I say this to my shame. Our kids are not going to put this down until mom and daddy put this down and pick this up. I need about three more amens on that. Man, alive. We need to go get God for our home. Mamas and daddies are too busy. When, when, we're, when we're not busy, we, we do. We busy ourselves. I've said this before. I can't tell you how many times we be watching a movie or something or another, and, and my kids and my wife has told me, why don't you put your phone down? And sometimes it's just a, it's, it's a simple act. I'm not trying to ignore them. I just need to get my mind off of what I'm thinking about. And so I, I play solitaire. I look at Facebook or whatever it is. The whole time I'm missing out on Braylon's smiling. Girl, I slapped a taste out your mouth. <clears throat> In Jesus' name. We need to put our phone. Now, she's going to remind me next time I got my phone, we're watching Smurfs or something like that. Whatever it might be, she's going to say, Daddy, you said you need to put your phone up. And I'm going to have to put my phone up. Because she won't let it down. She'd be like Camden. Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. Because it's separated. The home is separated. Where are the Bibles? When are we going to pray with our kids? We started 2021 with a chronological Bible plan. Was that this year or was that last year? Might have been last year. That's how that's how convicted I've been over this thing. We started 2020 with a Bible plan, and COVID hit, and a bunch bunch of different things hit all at the same time, and we got out of the the habit of reading our Bible together as a family. And it's been it's been a year and a half since we've done it. Now I'm the pastor. If anybody ought to be leading by example, I'm preaching to myself now. If anybody ought to be leading by example, it ought to be me. I ought to be able to say, we have, the Burke family has a devotion time at seven o'clock each night. But because we've allowed ourselves to get so busy, we don't. But what would our family be like? Let's extend that. What would our church be like if everybody had a time of Bible study and prayer with one another? Think about that. We have to go get God. Lastly, we need to go get God for the house of God. 
Why? Because it's powerless. You say, how could you say that? Man, we have such good services here. And I'm thankful that I, I hear quite often, most of the time it's from visitors. <clears throat> We've all kind of got used to it and we just expect as normal the, the, the moving of the Lord. And so sometimes we don't even think about it. But visitors will come in and they'll say, man, I just felt the spirit and, and they'll, they'll, they'll call or they'll message or they'll whatever and they'll say, man, I was, I, I was so blessed. I hadn't been in a church like that in forever and God just blessed me and people were, were saying amen and they were singing and, and that, that's great. But I want us to let's listen to this. First Samuel chapter number four. First Samuel chapter number four, verse number 19. Many of us have heard this, but we often forget it. <clears throat> the preacher had a son named Phineas. So verse number 19 says, And his daughter-in-law, Phineas's wife, was with child, near to be delivered. Now we could talk about Phineas, and we could tell how wicked he was, but we ain't going to deal with that right now. And when she heard the tidings that the ark of God was taken and that her father-in-law, excuse me, I said father, but father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and travailed for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman stood by her, by her said unto her, fear not for thou was born a son. But she answered not, neither did she regard it. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, here it is, The glory is departed from Israel because the ark of God was taken, and because her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory is departed from Israel, for the ark of God is taken. When you see this word glory, it refers to the very power of God. The Ark of the Covenant was, was literally the container of the power of God. That's what God blessed and the Philistines had taken it and it was gone. And because of the rebellion of Phineas and his brother, and then as such their father, Eli, because of all of those things, God gave uh, the Philistines the victory over Israel, and they took the glory of God from them. And she learned about all these things, had the child, and she said she didn't even regard the joy of having a son. But she said, we're going to name him Ichabod because the glory of God has departed Israel. What a shameful place that we find ourselves too often in churches today. That the glory of God has departed. I'm a non-traditionalist, I guess you might say. I'd be fine with doing service backwards every once in a while. Let's give the invitation. You need to pray, come get it right. Then we'll preach, and then we'll sing and rejoice in preaching. I don't know if y'all know this. I don't know if y'all know this, but most of the woo and everything, it comes during the singing. But when the preaching comes, everybody's quiet. Everybody's scared to death. And then there's oftentimes, I'm talking about our church, oftentimes there's no moving at the altars. 
I'd be fine with flipping the thing on its head and say, let's do this thing backwards. Or let's preach then give invitation and sing. Let's preach and then sing and then give invitation. Let's have Sunday school at night, whatever it may be. Let's flip the whole thing around because I think one reason why the glory of God has departed is because the people have become accustomed to the same thing over and over and over. Now, I've said this before. If they were here, I'd say it with them. They may be watching. I don't know. But if you want to see the church get all excited, let the Dent family come up and sing. Now, that, that's no shame on them. Abby, there's no shame on you. They are, they've been here. Everybody knows them. They're talented. They could play. They could sing. They've got volume. But then you let anybody else come up here and everybody's like, just a little, um, they're quiet. Am I telling it right? All 14 of y'all, am I telling it right? And I try my best. Man alive, say amen when these kids get up here and sing. Say amen, help them out. And I try to do it myself when my family gets up here and sing. Help them out with uh, uh, Samuel and Abby get up here. And, and Abby, you must ain't got it. Because they don't say amen hardly when you up here either. I know. It's like y'all don't, y'all scared of something new. Well, most everybody sings is not new. But we, we get in the same rut. We say amen to the singers that we like. We only like certain preachers and we only show emotion when certain preachers are here. And when certain preachers are here, you roll out a red carpet. I say boo on all that. Let's just have church. Forget about who's preaching. Forget about who's singing and just glory God. Amen. Amen. We need to go get God for the house of God because it's powerless. We've lost the power somewhere. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I really believe God's touched this place. And God's blessed this place. I'm not saying that Lighthouse doesn't have power. But and I, I've been in a lot of churches in a lot of areas where it's dead as a doornail. It doesn't matter who's singing and who's preaching. It's just dead. And in, in being dead, you know what they've lost? The power of God. And we need to ask God to give us that power back. We need to go get God for the house of God. Can, can, do you understand? We've had missionaries upon missionaries upon missionaries this year. Nearly every month we've had a missionary. And that was on purpose. Because I want our church to be very mission-minded. We just had a missions conference because I want our church to be involved in missions. I want us to fall in love with missions. And the reason being is because there's people dying and going to hell in Scotland, in Albania, in Nigeria, in Spain, in Uganda, in Panama, in Mexico, in Japan, and in everywhere else. But do you understand that people are dying and going to hell every day in Sumter County? County, in Sy County, and it could be because the churches that are in those places have lost the power of God. And Lighthouse, though we have the power of God, we can't be everywhere. 
But if we pray for the church down the road that God will get a hold of the preacher and God will get a hold of the pews, then it might be that people that won't come here might go there and hear the Word of God preached and get their heart right with God. And when they do die, they're not facing eternity in hell, but they're facing it with God because they need power. And then we'll finish with this because need to need to go get God for the house of God because it is plenteous. And... And the Jews, this is John chapter 2, verse number 13. And the Jews' Passover was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and dove and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them out, drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured the changers' money out and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house and house of merchandise. I can imagine as Jesus went to church, that day and he was just absolutely angered. Now you can't make a scourge just like that. It's not like he pulled his belt off and started whooping them. But he sat over and I believe this was a picture of grace. I believe the whole time he was there he was watching them selling an an ox over there and they got a turtle dove over there and they got some sheep over here and they're paying money and the reason they were doing that is so they could offer their sacrifices. But they were doing it in the house of God and I can imagine Jesus standing up against a a column somewhere kneading and weaving that scourge so that it would be just right. And the whole time he's hoping, whole time he's praying, whole time he's wishing that they would get their hearts right. He's giving them grace. He's showing them mercy. But because they would not, he drove them out. He turned their tables over and told them to get out. Jesus today, I believe he's sitting up against a column somewhere. And he's weaving that scourge. And he's fixing to drive some churches out. I really believe that might be what happened during the onslaught of COVID. That God finished up his scourge and started chastening. We need to go get God. People need the Lord. People, people need God every day of our lives. You and I need God. We could go on, go get God for this, that, and the other. But I want you to know, even as a church of believers, we need God. And we need to go for Nathan, and for John, and for Samantha, and for Miss Barbara, and for Jody. And we need to call them out by name. When God impresses one of these people or somebody else on your heart, you don't need to say, oh, yeah, I hadn't talked to them in a while. Man, drop to your knees and pray because they may be in the worst shape of their life and they need someone to go get God on their behalf. 